Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the fourth series of The Human Podcast a place to hear extraordinary human stories that celebrate the limitless potential of human beings. So often, our personal stories of tragedy and survival are left untold, hidden behind the facade of our ordinary lives. Human has been created to make them more seen, more heard and more celebrated. Because by doing so, I think we can all feel more connected to our shared humanity. So if the world is feeling like a dark or difficult place, join us and let your heart be ignited by the fire of the human spirit. Today we are joined by a truly extraordinary person, Tree Carr, is a published author and TEDx speaker who specialises in the realms of dreams, death, dying, psychedelics, altered states and transpersonal psychology. Tree is a death doula and she was ordained in 2021 at the Universal Life Church. She is a high priestess witch and master of Wicca. Her work as a death doula involves a truly sacred work of helping people spiritually, emotionally, existentially and practically at the end of their lives. Tree holds a space for healing, for peace, for support and compassion during this most profound and sacred time of death and dying. So we are truly in majestic company today, Tree, and whilst we have many, many dear friends in common, um, and I have followed the work that you've done for a really, really long time, this is the first time that we've had proper time together I have to also say we tried to do this episode earlier this morning online which has become the sort of habit because of lockdown and all the rest of it and it was an absolute comedy of errors every single thing that could go wrong with technology on both ends did to the point where the first time ever we had to abort the mission And I just said, listen, I think this is just a sign that we need to meet and do this in person. So I've come to Fine Tree and we are like um, rediscovering the, honestly, the lost art of doing this together, like face to face. And it is just, yeah, I feel like it was all there for a reason. I'm so happy Um, with all of that disruption earlier that now we're here. Um, Anyway, so 
it goes without saying that you know the extraordinary work you do tree is um the consequence of an extraordinary life that you have lived and so i can't tell you how honored i feel to have you here how you know honored i'm sure our listeners will feel to have this time with you today and um before we get into the main conversation i just wanted to see how you are today how are you? I'm really good and I'm <laughs> so grateful for your kind and encouraging words as well. So thank you. I feel like my cheeks are ready to explode <laughs> <laughs> with smiles. I'm like, my heart is bursting <laughs> in a million pieces, which is really great. And it makes me feel really good about doing this work because it just feels so aligned with with service and just helping and you know being here. We're here for a very small amount of time Mm. on planet earth our life is is fleeting it's beautiful but it's fleeting Mm. but you know if I could be a service in the the fleeting moments of my life like that is what it's like a life well lived then you know exactly seriously it really is so tree um I wondered if we could just start our conversation today by um taking us back to some of the beginning and most formative years of your life um, which you say was spent living on a commune in America in the 1970s, um, you know, without access to sort of mainstream kind of popular culture, um, you know, no television or radio. And so you spent a lot of time in your childhood immersed in nature. And um, I've heard you describe how you think that played a very integral role in enabling you to connect more deeply to your inner world and particularly to dreams um and so I wonder before we get into the work you know just just exploring your work in dreams and and everything else that's come from that I wonder if you could just take us back to those early early days and paint a picture of 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 that world for us yeah so I was born in 1972 uh so a child of the 70s and that was a time of great change as well in all throughout the world there was a lot of movements happening there was the you know civil rights movements there was um a psychedelic renaissance happening which created a spiritual renaissance for many people as well big changes and shifts happening with consciousness at that time and at that time too people were wanting to live in different ways so there was a lot of um communes and of course cults as well that were all popping up everywhere and uh, my formative years in a commune really defined, I feel, the, the way I, I am as, uh, as a human now, mm-hmm. as I'm older. And I think because they were in those formative years, you know, those formative years where you're really absorbing, it really helped to, to define my inner worlds because mm-hmm. uh, part of the, the way that we lived there was no television and no pop culture. So there wasn't any um, distractions. And of course, back in the 70s, it was a lot more of an analog time. Yeah. There, you know, there was, if now that I think about it, it's like, wow, it seems like ancient history. You know, there was, of course, no home computers and not even fax machines. I don't know, at least in common households. But so this created an emphasis of spending time in nature and playing um, I'm from a very musical family everybody playing instruments and reading and drawing and painting and I think this helped to 
connect me to more of a present mindfulness and being in the present moment. Um, my dreams were were as vivid or real as my waking experiences. So mm. as a very young person, I just I just assumed that it was all part of the the same long linear linear experience. So when you went to sleep at night, that you know that consciousness cont- continues mm. and carries on. So um, you, would you? Would you mind, would you be happy to describe some of those or or like a particular experience that? Yeah, I think, well, some of my earliest experiences were of lucid dreams or out-of-body experiences Mm -hmm. that just felt normal, like floating around the house or, you know, flying through space. So that felt normal. Um, How old were you you at this point? Probably under four. So, so, you know, I remember being three. I remember being in a nappy. I remember crawling Wow. I have really, it's so weird though, but I have such early, early memories. I remember being frustrated because I couldn't reach the countertop. Like I, standing up and being frustrated that I wasn't big enough or tall enough to, to reach the countertop. So I remember being, you know, knee height of adults. And I remember having a, having a diaper, a nappy, crawling around. Um, I remember the mobile in my bed, like in my crib and the wallpaper, things like that. And I always remember experiences in bed, like having these liminal threshold experiences on the cusp of sleep uh, and uh, observing and feeling like pure consciousness. Um, but it's not until I was you know, later being able to define it. I've always had a journaling practice, like dream journaling. And as a teenager, I wrote, wrote a lot of these memories down because I thought, wow, I can remember far back. So I remember writing them down. So I, you know, I remember these. Um, Tree, can you just describe for our listeners that might not be familiar what a, what the liminal what a liminal threshold moment is? Yeah. So a liminal threshold experience happens every single night as we all fall to sleep. As we're falling into sleep, our brain waves slow down, and they move from the the beta brain wave of our active thinking mind into theta brain waves, which are more of the what we experience when we are in flow states, dreams, right. meditation. Right. And so it, if you keep your consciousness aware, so if you have your focused awareness awake as your body is shifting, so it's a bit like being aware of two things at once. So it's almost like slipping away and holding on at the same holding time. on your awareness oh that's so interesting and when you hold on your awareness you're able to experience that liminal threshold and what it is really is your brain waves turning turning stations into a slower brain wave so what happens mm-hmm. is you can have these interesting what are called hypnagogic experiences so it's a hypnagogic threshold the hypnagogic state, which is like that liminal threshold just before you fall into sleep. So it is a biological threshold. So there's science behind it. So it's not, there's, you know, we've studied, you know, there's been studies around that. So even though mystical type experiences can happen in that threshold, it is a biological one. And so in that state, you can have experiences. You can have experiences of, of sacred geometry, visions, snippets of, of dreams that are starting to form. You can hear things, have audio mm, yeah. hallucinations. And this is that a, a very interesting state for consciousness exploration. So that's usually where people disengage and go on an adventure, leave their body. This is where you can go straight into a lucid dream. And, you know, we're not taught these sort of things. 
-hmm. but they're things that this is these are experiences that people have been having for thousands of years mm -hmm. and there's a lot of traditions that uh, focus on those liminal threshold states for consciousness exploration for spiritual practice for shamanic practice so it's it's been around for a really long time but as a little kid a lot of little kids experience it mm. but then it just sort of fades or they don't talk about it or they're not really shown what they are mm. i mean tree this 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 moves very very um segues very beautifully into, into into talking about the work that you do with death and dying and the in and that intersection between the work you do with with dreams and death and dying um I wondered if you could just talk to us a little bit about what you feel the link is between the work that you do in dreams and the work that you do in supporting people in, in death and dying. Yeah, so both are the great thresholds. Mm. So every night as we fall into sleep, and I was as I was describing about the, the brainwave shift mm. and, 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 and falling into sleep, it's like a mini death every night. Mm. So every single night, it's like you, you know, you're going into this, other zone and you could use use it as a great analogy of a mini death and so i see that as a threshold state in a lot of practices death or uh, dreaming is used to prepare oneself for death and the threshold state being on that threshold state of awareness is used in particularly like tibetan dream yoga and the buddhist traditions dream work lucid dreaming and working on those liminal states of dreaming is all preparation for the death moment god that's so interesting i didn't know but can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah so there's various practices especially in tibetan dream yoga where you practice your whole life to you know to prepare to keep consciousness on the threshold of death and allow that consciousness just to carry on after the expiry of the body in, in their tradition to go through the bardos and to go through that that journey there and on the other side um but there's a lot of even in shamanic traditions you know the dream dream time it, these are our zones or realms that you your consciousness goes to that are part of maybe the great mystery of where you know what's beyond as well so they they're both mysterious liminal thresholds so i love playing with both you know dreaming and and death but dreams are also got to have a biological function too they're there to process our emotions it's literally like the little cinema of the unconscious mind every night you know screening the best hits mm. <laughs> of what's going on deep in your emotional mm. well-being so they're there to regulate your emotions as well um but then there's also there just seems to be a little bit more too because your consciousness continues in sleep so that's valid so you can continue to have experiences in the altered state of sleep and so it just you know it poses the question does your consciousness remain and still have experiences even after your body has died as well is there um i mean because naturally you know once a person has died if their body has died even if there is a consciousness that remains for moments or minutes or how how long after I imagine I'd be interested to know but is it must be quite difficult to capture kind of those experiences because the person then will have passed through into into death so what you know is there is there any kind of literature on that or or anything that or is there anything that kind of doc has has been able has anyone been able to document 
that experience or is it something that just um I was really interesting how you describe it as you know a, a a similar liminal threshold moment and um I'd just be fascinated to know more about that and if that is what you know people who are there people who have nearly died who've been brought back to life who have described it in a similar way I mean I'm just absolutely fascinated this is the great mystery right I mean there's a lot of people who have had NDEs near-death experiences and there's a lot of studies in and around that and I had my own near-death experience as a young child of four um almost swept out to ocean um, and my father saved me and brought me back. And a sneaker wave came and, oh, it was really, like, really scary. But as I was being pulled out, it was, you know, really grappling to try to save my life. You know, your mm. whole body kicks in. And I was trying to grapple onto the the posts of the docks as I was being pulled really, really quickly. And I was couldn't grapple them. I was getting all scratched up by the barnacles. and But at one point, you know, my body, everything, just it hit me. I was like... Uh, like this is it mm-hmm. you know I am I'm going to die and it was like a real weird moment of acceptance of like I'm going to die and in that moment I I didn't care for myself so much as I felt great sorrow for my parents that they were never going to find my body and I just felt so much empathy for them and so sad for them but I felt kind of fine in a way so interesting you say that I mean I had, when I was 24, I very, very nearly drowned on a beach in Bali and I had exactly the same experience. Oh I was pulled God. out by a cycle of waves on a surface beach where it literally had like a kind of, the, the, the beach I didn't realise kind of dropped off a ledge like once you kind of got into the water, which is why it was such a good surface beach because people, you know, great waves and stuff. And I went in, I was always a very confident swimmer, went in, obviously waves come in cycles I went in at a moment when it was just a little bit more calm and suddenly these waves came in and I was literally spun around upside down the biggest waves I've ever seen or been in in my life and I just couldn't find which way was up or down and I and I and I got spun around so I, I just couldn't tell and I went up to find air and actually I was going down and I got beaten down another way and I suddenly had this feeling exactly the same of oh my god I'm drowning I'm dying and this is it. And the moment at which I, I suddenly, I was fighting, I, you know, doing all the wrong things because you basically exhaust yourself and that's why you, I was just absolutely panicking. And I suddenly had this moment of thinking, this is it, I'm dying. And I thought the first, the, the person I thought of was my mum. And I said, oh my God, my mum, I cannot bear what this is going to do to her. And then I, I basically passed out under the water and I came to on the sand and the, this woman was slapping me around the face and all I could hear was my heart and it was like bang, bang and it's like white, like white flashing lights in my, I mean I really was you really, were out, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was that, it was that close and my, my bikini bottoms around my knees, oh I was like, oh my god, yeah, god. so it's funny that well, we both had a similar, can, you know what it's like, but that same thing, <laughs> I thought, I didn't think, oh what me, I just, I remember this moment, I remember going, like that under the water and I think that was just the moment which I blacked out and then the water took me in but it was so interesting and I didn't feel scared I just felt so sad for my mum and my dad yes same thing isn't that interesting we both had a very similar experience in those you know split seconds of this kind of trauma yeah that you know, there is the scramble, the struggle, but then there's like this weird surrender. And then, the, yeah, the first things that come through is the deep 
empathy and love for your family members. It's just so profound. And I found the experience very boundary dissolving. Like it was not only being humbled by the power of nature, but also humbled by the power of love. It, it just never was, I was changed forever. It was like I, had, I was only four, but I had a little ego death, you know, because I literally did have my life flash before my eyes and there wasn't much to flash before my eyes at that time. But it's it's true when people say like, your life flashes before your eyes. It's true. And it always it comes back to love. So when my dad got me and brought me to, to the beach, it, I was absolute shock, like catatonic. Mm. And he pulled out his camera and he took a photo of me. And I was absolutely just in shock. And I just remember thinking, why is he taking a photo of me? And like, so this photo of me was always in the family album. And as an older person, like a teenager, I asked him, I was like, why did you take that photo of me that day? I was like, you know, almost drowned. And he said, because your eyes really, they really change. I really wanted to capture that moment. He wanted to capture the moment of like, okay, I'm here. And also to, to help distract me too. But he said, your eyes were just... I looked at the at the at the photo and I still have it and I was like you're right I mean if you see this photo it's a little bit haunting because my eyes look really deeply set they look real like they look like they they saw death oh and so that that experience changed me from that point onward mm -hmm. and then and then the first real death I experienced was a couple of years later it was my grandfather mm. and when it was announced that he had died um I was strangely calm about it Mm. Um, I felt like I really understood death mm. uh, from a young age. And in fact, at his wake, uh, when his, his body laid out, I was really comfortable touching him mm. and, and trying to hold his hand, much yeah. to my older relatives. It, was, it wasn't something that felt scary to you yeah. as a child, yeah. And in fact, as a teenager, as I started to, to evolve, um, whenever there was a, a funeral that my mother or granny were going to, mm. can I come, can I come? I wanted to be around death there's something around me that was compelled so i went to lots of wakes lots of wakes and funerals when i was a teenager mm -hmm. often to people i didn't wasn't even close to but my, my granny was or my mother was mm -hmm. and felt i felt like i want to view uh the the practice of death i want to be around it i want to see people who are deceased but it wasn't in a morbid, like, I'm a goth and I want. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. It was just like I wanted to be in those spaces. I wanted to be around this great taboo called death. Mm. But also probably because my formative experiences, too, I felt there was a weight to it that was with me. I felt like I needed to be present in those sort of situations. Mm. As a teenager, too, my best friend, her father was dying of cancer. And I, I, I journeyed with her through her, the yeah. whole the whole time that she was going through that and you know as a you know 15 16 year yeah. old 17 year old like that's pretty big and huge, yeah. felt like I was able to hold space for that too as a young person well so you were actually you were starting to hold space for people in death and dying even as a teenager yes and then yeah. and also my parents have always done compassion work they're very humanitarian in that sense. Mm. And around that time, too, they were going to old folks' homes um, to visit people who didn't have any relatives who would visit them, you know, lonely but old people. And uh, my parents are musicians, and so they would, you know, play songs and sing. And, and I would accompany them. I had my keyboard sometimes, and I would play along, mm. and I'd be there, too, and I would visit with them. And I always felt so much 
like it was difficult for me. I always have to nip off to the to the bathroom and just cry my eyes out because mm-hmm. I just felt so much compassion for these people who were just like alone and mm-hmm. at end of life and I was just like oh it really like just pulled at my heart so much uh, so I've always been around the role without even knowing what the role was um would you mind Tree if you if I asked you about how you you work with families or with 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 individuals when they're dying like what what that process is and what the what the support is that you provide and and um, at what point often you would meet somebody who contacted you for for this work I'm just absolutely fascinated yeah it's always very different and maybe I'll first tell tell you how I started the role yeah please the, the, the epiphany there was like all these synchronistic events of always being there when people are in crisis mm. near to death being there, helping them breathe through the pain, calling the ambulance, doing CPR. And like it keeps kept happening up until the point where there's there was one profound time. And I was like here in London and I was walking down Broadway Market and a man collapsed in my arms and he was having a massive cardiac arrest. Mm. And we tried desperately to save him and we were doing CPR and it was outside of a clinic. So someone came by with a liberator as well, trying to revive him. And I just had a real feeling like this guy is slipping and his head was in my lap and I was holding his hand. And as we were all working on it, I just kept, I was like, I need to give this guy some love and a soothing presence. So I was just saying the words, you're not alone. You're not alone. It's okay. You know, just giving Mm -hmm. comforting words, you know, just jumped into that, that role. And sadly this man passed and I really experienced the whole his whole transition, everything, his God, final tree, breath. Wow. His eyes were wide open, looking up into the sky, and just tears were streaming down his face. It always makes me think, like, when did he see? You know, like, he was just, he went into this peace, and then the last wow. breath. And so from that moment, you know, I was like, this is crazy. This kind of stuff follows me through, like, mm-hmm. since I was young, right? And I'm getting a complex here. So I decided to go to bed and ask my dreams, can you just help me out? Like sleep on it, right? Ask your dreams, show me something. So when I was waking up, I had like a quick succession of dreams of all the times in my life where I had these uncanny experiences with strangers and always there at these scary moments of death for people, like giving them emotional comfort. And I just woke up with like a eureka moment. I was like, that's what I'm meant to be doing. And then I was like, hang on a minute. Like it's not a paramedic. But it's like this emotional support for people scared of death and like in crisis. So I literally went on to Google and Googled a series of words, emotional support at death, because that was the only thing I could think of what I'm actually offering to the situation. And literally like one of the first pages I saw was a death doulas. And it was a training for the certification. I went to the website, read, and I went, that's me. That's what I've been doing. (laughs) And I signed up straight away. And the rest is history. I got my my doula training and then began to work with people. And and how long ago was that? So that would have been... When did that? So I'm I'm nearly fifty. So this is my early forties. Wow, the ten years you've been doing this work. Probably kind of close to that, yeah. About maybe eight or something like that. So it was big shifts happened to me in 2012. I remember like when I was 40, it was like whoa, I'm I'm stepping out of, of service to people in so many different ways. But yeah, so 
that the rest is history and how I pe help people. It's always different because everyone's death is different mm -hmm. and everyone's journey is different. Yeah. So some folks, um, I'm there for like maybe one session because they're afraid. And so right. I help a lot with death phobia um, and help people um, to remove their fear of death and dying. For other folks, it's, um, it's being there through the practical questions um like i've done i've been um like a celebrant at, at funerals and mm. have spoken at funerals i've helped arrange memorials and funerals mm. so i've done practical stuff mm. um i've done um emotional support for family members who are losing someone yeah. Yeah. and i get a lot of that where i help yeah. people with their anticipatory grief or i've did a lot of work during covid because a lot of people lost their loved ones yeah. to COVID and yeah. couldn't see, see them. them. Oh, so they had extreme, like they didn't yeah. have closure. Mm. So I did a lot of sessions around closure and, and yeah. bereavement and to help people feel that. Um, and I've helped with death, you know, deathbed vigiling for people helping to release their loved ones. Mm. Sometimes we keep them tethered here because yeah. we, we have unfinished business. So yeah. I help, I've helped quite a few people with their unfinished um, business in terms of their interpersonal relationships. And if you, do you attend, um, do you attend, um, I mean, do some people also, or, or, or families also want you to be there to attend the, the deaths of, their loved ones as well it's really different and yeah it's very it's the end of life is so bespoke it's so unpredictable yeah. but it's also deeply personal yeah and the person who is dying and the, and the family but predominantly the person who's dying has agency yeah. of their wishes yeah. and sometimes people just want to be alone yeah they don't want to have people around mm -hmm. i've done a lot of deathbed vigiling uh, like via technology <laughs> which is so wild yeah, it but is. it's equally as powerful yeah, yeah. so they're in the room helping and supporting mm -hmm. lighting a candle and guiding through meditations and mm -hmm. and and helping through that a lot mm -hmm. on phone calls on zoom calls on skype that's happened quite a bit um i've had um i've been there for people in the uh, like the hour before death the moments before death with some guiding help mm. as well because um, i do get a lot of phone calls around like because when people are actively dying in the three days sometimes mystical things can happen and yeah. there can be um you know strange occurrences so i'll get phone calls about those sometimes yeah. too yeah. about people's deathbed visions and their um their their nightmares and you know there's a lot sometimes people can experience mm. in and do you, do you feel that your the experience or the kind of innate way in which you've been able to kind of build this this um kind of relationship with with death and dying has have you been able to use some of those tools and that experience to for yourself in with the experience of of loss personally have you been able to yeah to draw you know reach for those absolutely my sister died three months ago and I'm in the so beginning of her journey yeah. yeah it was really intense it was very quick eight months 
from the time she got her prognosis to the time she passed. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I, you know, got news of that, I knew that, you know, here I am stepping into this role for my own family. And it was a very challenging situation because my sister didn't want anyone around Mm -hmm. and she isolated herself um, through her illness and through her journey towards death. Mm -hmm. And this was very challenging because as a death doula, you think, oh, I know all the ins and outs of death. Here it is, my own family members. I can be a superhero and come and help. And But then I was faced with this challenge that my sister just didn't want anyone around. She didn't want to talk to anyone. And this was really challenging. And I had to sit with that to respect her personal choices at end of life. And she had agency and she wanted to be alone. And this was so deeply unsettling and difficult. Mm. So for me, it was the biggest challenge as a death doula to respect her wishes and to and, and I was, had to immediately go into grief. I was grieving and grieving and I had to accept the possibility that I might never see my sister ever living ever again. So and I need to sit with so that reality. Yeah. And I needed to hold my entire family and give them that message too. Mm. Because she literally was only talking, she was talking to her husband and her husband was talking to me. Yeah. And then he didn't want any everyone calling him. So I was talking to my entire family, my, my elderly parents included. Yeah. And so it was a really challenging time because my parents yeah. all of a sudden are in a position of helplessness. Yeah. They, they could, couldn't reach out. She didn't want to talk to anyone. Mm. And so it was so challenging to hold everybody in that. So she's in Canada. And so what ended up happening was I did all my loving things uh, vicariously through her partner. And I did things like sent care packages, really practical things, you know, let's send some, you know, beautiful salon style wigs for her and cozy, comfy clothes. And this, that will get to her. She'll know I love her. She knows I love her and I care Mm -hmm. from afar. She had to go through her own, her own thing. She wanted to go through it this way. The wonderful thing though, that ended up happening was at one point, it was about a month before she died. She felt open to receiving a visit. Mm -hmm. And so she she finally talked to my mother on the phone. And so plans were made Mm. for my, my parents to go and visit her which was a real great, to me, I'm like, I'm ha- that's all I want. Like, I just, yeah. that to me, that's great. Yeah. If I don't, I mean, I will try. So I, I was mm-hmm. planning to get there too. But what ended up happening, so it was around June 19th. It was just before the, the solstice. Mm. And they visited her. And, you know, we weren't really told just how much she was fading and how much she was ravaged. And so, and I understand because her partner was, you know, probably there's a lot to take in. So there was a lot of trying to focus on the positive and not wanting to, 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 to announce the little wins and not, you know, announce just how, how she was really slipping. Yeah, yeah. So my parents showed up and walked into the room and obviously were floored because they didn't see their daughter. And But my parents are amazing. And they, they, just, they just moved into loving, holding, caring, beautiful, loving mode mm-hmm. for her. And they just held her and like loved her and they were there. 
And like literally within hours, she looked at my mom and said, it's not going to be long now, mom. And within, right after that, she just started to slip and they had to get her to the hospital. She was like holding and on. She's hanging on. As soon as my, my, my parents arrived, she, she started to surrender. And that's when everyone started to fly in because we got, got news, got news that she's been admitted to hospital. And so I'm scrambling mm. to get onto a plane. Okay, I got to get over, got to get over. And I was, you know, bought the plane tickets. The only, of course, the nearest flight I could get was the next day. Mm. Being where I am, I'm far away, I'm abroad. So um, getting that all in order. And then as I'm packing, getting all it, it, it all in order, you know, I get the phone call and uh, it's like, she's not going to make it through the night, the doctors oh, say. So and I'm just like, oh my God, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to be there. I got to get there. I got to get there. And um, and then I was just told like, you should, you should say your words now over the mm -hmm. phone mm -hmm. because she's really, she's really slipping. And she's kind of like not here, like she's, you know. So I'm on the phone giving her my words of whatever's just coming out from the well of my heart, which is I love you forever and we're always together. We're always gonna be connected, you know, just I love you forever and all the beautiful words. And I could hear her, I could hear her trying to, mm. I could hear her trying to make words. I could, her, her the, the tone of her voice, she couldn't speak, but it was just like a moaning. And I knew she heard me when I got off. My mom said she heard you. Her eyes opened and she's been slipped under for a long time, like for hours. So she really heard you, Tree. She heard you. And and that felt profound. It felt so weird. Like, you know, I'm like, I feel like I'm in one of those cliche movies right now where, you know, I'm like, I'm, oh my God, am I going to win the best Oscar award for the most compelling moment of death on the telephone or something? It was really like, I can't believe this is happening kind of moments. And then I was just like, oh my God, okay, I need, still, I need to get there. I need to get there. And this was the trippiest thing. So as I was, I had to book a hotel to stay in a hotel. So the next morning I'm on an early flight. Mm -hmm. So this is when you were still in the UK. I'm still in yeah. the UK. I'm on I'm online looking for hotels around around mm -hmm. Heathrow, and I I see this one hotel and it was so bizarre. But I felt my sister right there, mm -hmm. saying that's the one. That's a hotel. Like it was almost like she was already in mm -hmm. the other realms. Mm -hmm. She was very strong there in my sphere. So. I clicked it and I'm going through the rooms and she's like that room there. I'm like, this is so trippy. I'm going to listen to her. Mm. That is a very expensive room, but I'll, I'm going to book it anyway. And I'm like, maybe there's a reason. I don't know. I just felt like, okay, I'm listening. Mm. And we, my partner and I get in the cab. We rush to the hotel. We're in the hotel. We go to sleep, mm. ready to take our early flight. I'm sleeping. And in the middle of the night, I'm woken up and I'm woken up in that sleep paralysis state. So this is the liminal threshold state I was describing yeah. at the beginning of our conversation. Yeah. And in sleep paralysis, you are conscious, totally conscious, but you're kind of like in between a dream, in between reality. An mm -hmm. esoteric thought, you are in like the astral plane or the interdimensional plane just on the other. Th it's beyond the veil. Yeah. And in this moment, laying in the bed of this hotel room, I'm like, all of a sudden, <laughs> it's so bizarre, but this cat comes jumping out of nowhere onto the bed. Of course, this is all in this liminal threshold mm -hmm. state. 
And the cat starts doing this purr paw thing with the duvet, like pulling up the duvet. Like, you know, when cats do that to try to get your attention and wake you up. And of course, my first reaction is I'm totally conscious as we are conscious right now. My first reaction is like, what the what? There's a cat in the room. How'd the cat get in the room? Like startled, absolutely startled. Then the coin drops and I had this strong feeling and presence of it was my sister, mm. like as a cat. I know it sounds bonkers, but then I just went, oh my God. And I was just like, I love you. I love you. I love you forever. I'm here. I'm here. And I know this sounds mad, but I felt like she was telepathically speaking to me through like as this cat and said, take care of my son, be there for my son. Mm. And my wonderful nephew who just amazing, amazing person mm. who, by the way, would have recurring experiences growing up, waking up in the middle of the night going, oh my God, mom's going to die and just run to the room and have a cuddle with her mom. So like very unusual sensing there on his part. And I said, of course I will. Oh, well, I will be there. I will be there for him. And the experience dissolved. I woke up crying. I was sobbing and I thought I got a text straight away. Texted um, uh, my youngest sister, my mom, both of them at the same time with the experience. And I felt like I need to send this. Mm. And I also need proof that it happened in the time. Yeah. And went back into sleep. And then the next morning, woke up. My partner and I get in the cab, get to the airport. We're about to check in. And I get a phone call. And my sister passed in the night. Mm. She passed at 1245. Mm. And I'm sitting there doing the maths. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, that's the time I had. That That's that's the exact time. Check the texts. That's when I had this experience mm. of, of, of her coming through as like this cat in this strange liminal experience of dream, like the dreaming. And my younger sister was crying on the phone saying, you're not going to believe this last thing I whispered in her year. So everyone was there except me Jeez. was the last thing she whispered into my sister's ear was, Go find Tree, go find her. She's trying to reach you. Find her in the dreams. Go find her in the dreams. And she she gave that gave that request to my dying sister and she did it. She came through and we were both crying but laughing and it just brought so much closure. So even though I couldn't physically be there, like she came through in this other way. Like it was just phenomenal. Like it was up there with one of the most profound experiences of my life. Mm-hmm. And it brought immense closure. Mm-hmm. And I got there. Um, I had the, the the beautiful, profound experience, though, of being able to be with my my deceased deceased sister. Mm-hmm. So the funeral home held her, held her there, and and I we we put wildflowers all over her body, mm-hmm. and my entire family was in the room, and we just held her and hugged her and kissed her and and wailed and cried over her. And it was an amazing experience as a family Mm. to just cathartically release as a family together over our beautiful sister and daughter and just just honor her, you know? And it was so healing for my whole family, brothers crying, dad crying, everyone, just to mourn and uh, just immensely it was so incredible. Mm. It was magic. Uh, and 
you know, the day after everyone settled, my father and I were out on a walk uh, it, and we were really crying. He was speaking a lot about life and he's a very beautiful man, very compassionate and very easy to express emotions. And he was weeping. And, and as that moment was happening, all of a sudden this, <laughs> this bright green flying creature came flying into us and then flying outwards. And we were like, what was that? It like brought us into like the present moment. And it looked like a tropical bird. It was lime green and like amazing. And I was like, that was like a butterfly or something. Cause it was flying kind of erratically and it flew off and it lifted us. And my dad was like, Oh, it's spirit. You know, like he felt like it was, you know, it was her, she was coming through in this beautiful way. And so we went back and told everyone at, you know, all the family members back at the Airbnb. And as more family ascended, my great niece comes and she shows up and she's got this really interesting tattoo on her. And I'm like, it's, the butterfly that we've seen. And I said, Oh my God. I was like, dad, look, it's the butterfly we saw. Cause it had really specific long tail with like these eye marks and stuff on it. Like it was wild and it was bright green. And she's like, Oh, that's not a butterfly. That's a Luna moth. And I'm like, what's Luna moth. And she's like, Luna moth is a really amazing moth that only lives for one week. And you saw one. Yes. You saw one yesterday and we were like yeah we saw one we felt like it was a beautiful mystical experience and she's like wow because it if you see one it's considered a mystical experience because mm-hmm. it is a symbol of the brevity of life the rebirth yeah. and the transformation oh my god Trey, I got goosebumps yeah and we were like oh my god that's amazing and then so when it came time to choose her urn because she was then cremated we mm-hmm. were at the funeral home and there's all of these urns and we looked and and I was there with her, my sister's husband, and we looked and I went, it's that one. It was one with all this butterfly on it. So we're like, that's mm-hmm. the one. Mm-hmm. And uh, we chose that. We chose that for her. And we, we, we really worked around the theme of the Luna Moth and transformation for her eulogy. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, um, I brought that into the eulogy. But there's been so many synchronistic experiences since her death that have made me just feel like you know that you can't make this stuff up including the the song that i sang at my sister's funeral mm-hmm. during the moment of silence mm-hmm. it was a song i wasn't preparing to sing a song at her funeral and it just came out like it was just all of a sudden this sound came through yeah it just came through it was the song from the unforgettable fire from a u2 a u2 album from 1987 or 86 it just came to me. I was just saying the song, which helped release people into mm. tears. And and then, no, no joke, but a week later, I was back in the UK holding space for a dreaming retreat in Wales. And the man that owned the land, this beautiful land in Snowdonia, came down as we're all at the dinner, at dinner, all the retreat members, and I'm there to facilitate the retreat. He came in just to give, hey, welcome to my land. And here's the story of my land. And he tells us the story. And the story of his land was how he manifested this land because he really wanted it, but he was broke. And so on the summer solstice of 1986, he decided to do this ritual to help bring this land into his mm-hmm. possession. And he said, and at the end of you know, my ritual, I sang this song. And he starts singing the same, the same song, song oh, that I sang at my sister's <laughs> funeral. He's like, 
sleep, sleep tonight, and may your dreams be realized. Those are just the first few lyrics of the song. And we all just were gobsmacked because I had posted my my eulogy and song on my Instagram. So a lot of the people yeah. who were at the retreat had seen had seen yeah, that. Seen that because you also am I right, Drew, that you you were the, the celebrant for your well, sister, for my sister's funeral. Sister. Yeah. Oh God! So when when he what started singing that, I felt her there. Yeah. And the synchronicities haven't stopped. So there are these things that happen in life that feel very mystical. But I would say to anyone listening, don't shrug them off. Mm. Allow those uncanny experiences. Hold space for your heart and your love for your deceased loved one. Mm. Let it heal you. Let it bring peace. Let it bring closure. Let it bring joy. Mm. Because I think they're there. They happen to hold you. And so don't shrug them off as like, oh, it's just weird coincidence. Mm. Like lean into it with love and, and just feel the moment mm. because they're so special mm. and they can happen a lot after someone dies. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know, Tree, what you were just saying then about... And what you said to your sister, that I love you forever, that is exactly what I was saying to my mum when she died. And it was also the only two words that she could say at the end of her life was love forever. Because her cancer was in the speech and language centres of her brain and it was the it was it it completely destroyed her ability to form coherent language which was particularly cool because my mum's one of her greatest gifts was her ability to communicate, you know, with passion and precision and the most incredible, you know, articulate, emotional intelligence. But in the end of her life, the only two words that she could say together was love forever. That's amazing. The only two words that she could say was like everything else just became distilled down yeah. to those two words. And that's all she would just say, love forever. 
love forever and so on her gravestone oh there's the two words i'll show you a picture that's so powerful and those Just words those can words. stay stay with you and you can pass those words down to your children no exactly and you know true what you're talk what you said this earlier but you know the truly you know our experiences of death are outlived by the experience of love that you know lo love outlives death is what i you know love is the thing that lasts forever and you know when you've you know there may be people listening to this podcast who are going through who have just been through a bereavement or are you know caring for somebody who's terminally ill and you know i would just say that the experience of living with somebody through death through dying and death i've used just as you've just described tree is when it comes down to it is actually just the most intensely distilled profound experience of love you know yeah you know and i and once i realized that you know i realized that actually grief is grief is not something to be scared of you know if you if you reframe yes. all of those like howling fucking winds of sadness that rage through you after somebody you love so much has died if you just reframe those as love and those it's like the wild winds of love then it's you can hold it in a different way it's so you know? true yes really at the core of that grief is beautiful beautiful love and and it that will that grief will always be there if you imagine it like a little ball mm. that grief but in the center of it is a glowing hot yes. love and you you grow around that grief so grief mm. and bereavement it's not a linear thing it's not like oh, I'm going to be better in three weeks or in five years, I'll be better. It's not linear. You grow around your grief. So if you lean into the core of the grief, into the love, crack it open like a kinder egg or something and just know when you when that wave of sorrow or sadness comes, just let it wash up onto you. Let it wash over you. Let the wave wash over you. And don't resist it. Just feel it. And as you feel it and you let your body express mm -hmm. and cry and do what it needs to do, it just, it cracks your heart open more and it connects you more to them. Yeah. To have shared experiences, mm -hmm. I mean, it's fresh for me. My sister's only three months mm -hmm. past. So the timing of this is very unique mm -hmm. in that we can mirror back to each other our own shared experiences. Mm -hmm. Interesting how like you were with your mom holding space as she passed. My mom was there holding my sister. Oh, she, was, she was the one there with her hand on yeah. my sister's heart. Mm -hmm. And my mom said, you know, I was here and brought her into the world. Uh, it's me, I'm here helping her leave the world. And so, you know, I just, I'm like, mom, yes, you were the one who it was, it needed to be you. It needed Amazing. to be you who, who was there doing that work. So mother's love, no, no yes. the mother's love knows yeah, no bounds. Exactly, and so she, what an mm. honor for her mm. to be on both ends of that journey. It's just so, wow, you know? And her hand was on her heart. So intuitively, she said, mm -hmm. I, I felt like my hand needed to be there. So that connection again, you know, that that little place of the portal mm -hmm. of connection. So, Well, thank you so much for, you know, sharing that story with us because it's, it's very, very, very recent, that loss. And to be honest, I couldn't even find words for what I had been through 
you know, for many, 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 many months after. So it's it's a real it's a real gift for people, you know, and I know there are lots of people who, who follow this podcast who, you know, are leaning into it because we talk about, you know, a lot of the big things that don't get talked about enough, I don't think. And so having that insight from you at this, you know, in these very, very hyper real, vivid, raw early stages of loss is just it makes it provides a torchlight in what can feel like complete darkness for some people so I just on behalf of myself and my listeners true thank you for that it's a pleasure yeah. and I, I hope you know if it brings um light to anyone who's listening well, it, I certainly I'm so grateful I have no doubt about that now obviously I just want to sit here with you till three in the morning <laughs> <laughs> all night but I <laughs> I'm going to try and resist my my urge to move on to all other things. And but listen, I hope this is the first of many more times and conversations yeah. we will have, Tree. But so as we move into the um, end of this unbelievably special time we've had with you, I just want to ask you, Tree, what does courage feel like? That's a good question. Courage is not what you would think maybe what society teaches you courage is, you know, when you think of the word courage, you think of like these warriors or these, you know, these a very masculine archetype of armor or knights or courage. But I think courage, real courage comes from the deep stillness of knowing who you are and it's know thyself. And true strength and true courage is being able to sit in the midst of a storm or a social situation that feels out of your league or any kind of situation that feels challenging. And just to be able to pull into yourself and go, hmm, there I am. Mm. I'm rooted here and I know who I am. I'm I'm all good. And it's almost like understanding that you have all those reserves within you and being able to access it mm. so it's not an external thing mm. it's an internal process mm. and then as you sit in that courage or strength and it reverberates outwards it, it just brings a peace around you and i think that's what you act you know what you can act you access mm. when you hold space for someone who's dying mm. or who's really grieving is just to you know to, to center into that and a lot of the times it's not having words to try to fix somebody. Yeah. It's okay. It's all yeah. right. It's just the presence yeah. of being mm-hmm. and the presence of that inner strength or that courage. It, people feel it. Mm-hmm. It's palpable. And I, that's what I think real courage is. Mm-hmm. A beautiful answer. It's a treat. If there's one person in the world that you'd like to be proud of you, they could be living or they could also have died. Who would that be? I mean, the first thing that popped into my head were, of course, my parents. Yeah. I mean, that was my, I mean, parents, partner, but it was like, I mean, parents, mom, you know, like, it's funny what it comes down to. And going back to that near-death experience when I was a child, it was like the first people I felt worried for were my parents. My parents, all of our parents are, you know, they're huge influence on us in many ways but I would say it would be my parents mm. and I really hope that I, I do make them proud in the ways <laughs> so that I hope I do make them proud you know 
So mom and dad, you're listening. I love you. And I hope I've made you proud. (laughs) Um, Okay. So Tree, in, in true human form, every episode we ask our guest to dedicate our conversation to a song. So we'll play out with a song. And so before we say goodbye, you are incredible this has been one of my most favorite times in conversation and I really really mean it it's like I know this is what you do what you live and breathe every single day but for so many people who are struggling to find any who feel their experiences of loss or anticipatory loss or grief feel so pathless you have just provided so much color and um and comfort and just reassurance and in the most deeply wonderful way of something which is so often just cast into the shadows as being a scary awful thing that we mustn't look at and you through you looking at it you know in the way that you do it's um it's a real gift tree so I just wanted to say personally I mean I followed your work for a long time because of my own personal experience with these things and it's and it's done that for me and I'm sure it has for many other people and if anyone's listening who would like to find out more about tree's work then you can go and find her on her social media media page which is tree underscore car Although there's an imposter out there at the moment that we're trying oh, to Oh, <laughs> no, we don't want them. <laughs> that happens sometimes, right? Where someone else, they, yeah. they, put, they put two underscores, so it looks like oh, it's no, me. Not two underscores. And tree. you know what they're doing? They're messaging tree. people, trying to get money out of them for what? services. Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. We got to shut don't want them those, down. those naughty buggers. No, yeah, we, we got to shut tree, them down. Tree one underscore car. I'm, I'm the one underscore car. I'm the original, the, the original, original gangster. Amazing. All right, Tree. So, what 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 song are we going to play out with today? It's got to be the song I sang at my Yay, sister's funeral, and the song that the man at the retreat center it just does. busted out. The song of synchronicity. <laughs> this is by U2 off their Unforgettable Fire album, and it's called MLK. Here we have it, MLK by U2. Tree, we fucking love you. <laughs> love you so much. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. If you'd like to rate, review and subscribe to us on your podcast app, then please do. And you know the score, five stars, please. If you'd like to come and say hello on Instagram, then you can find me and all things human podcast related at This Is Jess Mills. This podcast was created and hosted by me, Jess Mills, with creative co-production by Bonnie Tyburn and produced by Joel Porter at dot, dot, dot.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 